So that's why, you know, all players, regardless of genre or preferred genre or whatever it is, they all start with the fundamentals and they all make sure that their fundamentals work well. You know, the, um, the words of Michael Jordan, you know, get the fundamentals down and everything else will fall. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru Saying Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Phil O'Neill. Sydney, Australia-based trumpeter Phil O'Neill, well, he's a busy guy. His resume contains numerous awards for her solo trumpet playing, a long career with various Australian military groups, and a successful freelance career. But Phil is also known for his innovative approach to teaching trumpet through his YouTube channel and his Learn Trumpet Now membership site. And he's still got more in store. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I am joined all the way from Australia this time. Uh, we're, we're international folks, uh, by uh, Mr. Phil O'Neill. So, Phil welcome to the hang hey man thanks for having me good to be here really excited oh it's a it is absolutely my pleasure you know uh, one of the things like when i first started doing this this podcast the original concept was it, gonna, it was going to be me sitting down in a room preferably a bar with <laughs> another trumpet player uh and and just you know doing the hang like like we do it after concerts or you know at conventions and things like that but you know covid screwed the pooch for all of us but you know actually that was a blessing in disguise because transitioning to this virtual way of, of getting together i'm now actually able to talk to people that i would normally see uh and so you know time and space are no longer a barrier it's like a, a bad sci-fi movie but um you know i do want to have yeah you know, i i really wanted to have more international people you know i'm based here in the u.s but i wanted to have more international people so you're my second Australian guests. So, uh, you know, kudos to you, my friend, awesome. for doing that. It was the first I, I must have missed that one. Uh, some uh, some guy, uh, uh, James Morrison, or oh, something. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. keep forgetting he's Australian because he's so well known. And, you know, even though I see him around fairly frequently, it's like, oh, that's right. Yeah, James is Australian and lives here. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, James, James is my, my first Australian. You, you are uh, our number two on, on the list. So, uh, awesome. It, it, yeah. So, um, yeah, let, let's kind of just uh, help people get to know you, uh, help me to get to know you for that matter. Uh, and uh, let's talk a little bit about, about the stuff that you've been doing. I know that, uh, you know, you, you have a, a solo career, you've uh, done some military stuff. Uh, so let's, let's kind of just talk about your, your uh, career trajectory. Yeah, so when I started, uh, like I started playing as a kid, as we all do sort of thing, but I started, I actually got accepted to the army band when I was 17. I was actually 16 when I did my audition um, and I auditioned for part-time and just because the audition was there, it was about a month before my 16th birthday, uh, 17th birthday. And I knew that by, if I auditioned for the chair, I could do that part-time while I was studying. Um, and, uh, and then while going through the recruiting process it would take months to achieve sort of things. So I was like, 
you know, if I start it before I'm 17, if I get accepted for the job, then I can go from there and the recruiting process just starts a month later. Um, and they actually offered me a full-time job uh, at that audition. I was like, well, do I finish my degree and get student loans or do I go to the army band, which was like the job I wanted since I was 12 years old. Like I, I used to watch the military bands um, and how versatile they were and how they did so much different things, you know, like you'd watch them uh, march down the street and look and sound amazing. Then you'd go and hear them play a concert and they'd look and sound amazing. And then they'd be playing a jazz club somewhere, you know, and look and sound amazing. Then there'd be a big band playing at a fair and a rock band playing at uh, like a public gathering. And then they'd do carols and, you know, coming from the community banding sort of thing, I was like, this is basically a community band full time sort of thing. So I was like, that's amazing. I want to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I got accepted. Oh, I was offered the job and uh, after a bit of thinking, I was like, okay, I'm not going to worry about my student. I'm not going to build up student loans. This is the job I want. I'm going to go take it. And then, so, and then the process started, I went to Kapuka, which is where the basic training for the army is. So everyone has to go through basic training, um, you know, be fit, be like, learn how to do some strategies for, for in case you need to go to war sort of thing, how to shoot all of that sort of stuff, which was really fun, different experience. Um, and then straight to the Kapuka band. So I was doing lots and lots of marching there which was fun. Um, and then spent some time in the Sydney band, the Melbourne band. And then after, uh, 10 years in the army band, um, cause the, the army try to move you every roughly every three or four years. Um, and that way it gives variety in the job so that you're not doing the same sorts of sorts of work all the time. Cause each band has things that they do more of than other bands just because of the location. Um, and there was one band that uh, they asked me to go to the Townsville band and the Townsville bands are uh, attached to one of the infantry battalions. So they do a lot more of uh, essentially a lot more pub gigs. Um, and that wasn't something that interested me all that much. Um, I'd recently got married. So my wife and I were looking to, uh, to be close to family and to start having kids. And we wanted to have that support and the Townsville band was the furthest location away from either my family or my wife's family. So, mm -hmm. um, and so I made up, made up my mind because of that, it didn't suit my, uh, professional objectives, what I wanted to achieve. And it didn't suit my family needs at that time. Um, the Navy band had a, had a position opening, um, and I auditioned for that and got accepted for that which was fantastic because it put me in uh, my wife's home location in here in Sydney. Um, and it suited my playing more. It was a, a more of a classical type position, which is what I wanted to focus more on than the, the commercial side of things. Um, so yeah, I auditioned for that. I got accepted for that, started the process, went and did the Navy basic training or a shortened version of that because I had a lot of the skills from the army. Um, I just had to learn the Navy specific stuff and then, yeah, did another five years full time for the Navy band, um, which, you know, had some really incredible experiences. Um, once again, still very versatile. Like I still played 
in the big band occasionally. I still had to play jazz occasionally. Um, I was a, I was one of the sound operators for the band as well, so I had to run the mixing desk in the recording studio. Um, so lots of versatility in there as well. But because of the skill set of the rest of the guys in the section, I wasn't needed to do as much of that um, as much of that side of things. And I was able to do the stuff that I enjoyed a lot more. And that was really cool. Um, and we spend a lot like, but we spend a lot of time away from home in periods. So you go on a deployment, you'll be away for four or five months, sometimes as much as nine months. Um, and after five years in the Navy band, I'd, uh, I'd had my second kid by then. And, um, I just got to the point where I was like, I was spending a little bit too much time away from home while my kids were that young. Um, so I took my long service leave and started teaching at a school, uh, Cranbrook school, which was like, it was a, it, it is a great place to work. I still teach there now, um, almost full time at the moment, which is really cool. Um, and so I've been teaching there and I've just been freelancing for the past three years and getting a lot more time at home with my kids while they're really young, which has been really, really important to me. Yeah. Well, you know, and that, that seems to be, uh, a very common story, uh, you know, especially you guys that, that are in the military bands and, uh, you know, just, you, you kind of get to that point where it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to build a family, I, I kind of need to, to settle down. Um, mm. you know, like here in the States, yeah, they have, uh, especially, uh, you know, they have like the premier bands. So they have a lot of the bands that are based in Washington, DC. And with, if you get those gigs, that's why a lot of those guys will stay in there for 20, 25 years because you're in one place, yeah. you know, pretty much all the time. So, uh, but, but for the rest of the people that are, you know, getting deployed and things like that, yeah, it can be, it can be tough when you're trying to, to raise a family. So, you know, yeah. But, yeah. Especially while they're really young. Um, so my kids are like six and almost four at the moment. So, you know, up until this point, they've really needed a lot more stability for me to, um, to be home more frequently and just, they just require a lot more, but they're starting to be a lot more independent now, which yeah. is, which is great. So I can afford to be away, you know, I can afford to go and do a tour here and there when they come up sort of thing, which is great as well. Yeah. And then they'll get to that age where you just can't wait to get out of the house. It's like, ah, get me out of here for a while. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but that's good. Uh, so, you know, we, it sounds like, you know, you, you certainly have had a, within the military career, you've had a, a fairly well-rounded experience, you know, having to, to play a variety of, of, uh, of styles and, and demands and things like that. Uh, but, you know, you said that you definitely, you were leaning uh, towards more of the classical side as opposed to the, the commercial side. So uh, I know that you have done a number of, uh, you know, won a number of awards uh, as a, a soloist, a cornet soloist, a trumpet soloist. Um, and I've always found that world to be a little fascinating, uh, yeah, I, because I never got involved in in musical competition other than like marching band competitions and stuff, yeah, yeah. or jazz band competition, but never like soloist competitions. So, um, you know, what are what are some of the things that that you got out of that process of of being uh, involved in these kind of uh, solo competitions? Yeah, so a lot of the solo competitions are run through. Uh, community brass bands um, in Australia and one of the things like I always did them as a kid and I guess it was for me as a kid it was either do music exams 
or do music competitions. Um, and I, I did the music competitions for a couple of reasons. I got to choose my repertoire more often. So I got to choose my own solo more often than um, in an exam situation. It's like, here's your list of pieces to choose from kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of something that interested me a lot more. I got to choose pieces that um, I saw someone play the previous year that someone, a, a better player um, sort of thing. So um so there was that and i also got there's a lot more community engagement when you're doing a competition like a solo competition because you turn up you spend a bit of time in the warm-up room and quite frequently the warm-up rooms you it's one room where everyone who's competing in the section does their warm-up and while there you might play for a few minutes and then you have a chat with someone who you saw last year or someone from a different band and then once you play you put your instrument in the case and then you go and listen to the other guys play as well so the competition isn't necessarily who comes first second third the competition is more that like you hear the people who are who do something that you feel is slightly better than you and you go I like how that person did that. I'm going to go home and practice that so I can achieve that. Um, and that was that was probably the part that I liked the most was the community aspect. And it's also like by being community, it's like you're working together to better each other rather than in an exam. You don't see anyone else's exam. You just turn up, you get five minutes in your warm-up room by yourself you do your exam you go home and then a month or two later you find out your results um kind of vibe so the solo competition thing was really enjoyable from that community aspect where you got to know other people you got to socialize with them you got to hear them play and go oh that person did that awesome i like how they triple tongue that section or i like that piece i've never heard that piece before i'll write that down i'll get home and i'll order it and i'll give that a go you know um and that was that was really exciting for me um and also being able to speak to the adjudicator afterwards now the adjudicator couldn't see who you were but they'd write their comments down and written comments are really helpful but when you go and speak to the adjudicator afterwards and go right i played slavish fantasy in this section here's what you wrote about me have you got any feedback any other like something that you'd mind helping me with sort of thing and they'd have more to be able to help you develop than what you can actually write down sort of thing because writing down things especially when you're critiquing someone can often come across as far more harsh than having the conversation because you don't get the the body language or the intent behind what they're saying so that was all really helpful as well. And I found that be like, I found that really helpful for, for development for myself and for everyone else, which was really cool. Yeah. And, and then, as I said before, like, you know, being a solo competition, you, you get to choose your own repertoire. So the, the fun challenge is do like you choose a piece that's like borderline too hard so that you got something to really aspire and work very very hard on but you don't like if you choose something that's too hard then you fall in a heap but you want to choose something that's like really hard or really challenging but you're but achievable at the same time so it's really it really helps with goal setting as well so that's something i find really important 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that is a, a really important skill, I think, for, for, well, for trumpet players, for everybody, mm. uh, you know, understanding how, if you want to make improvement, how you have to push your limits. But, you know, uh, sometimes people want to go overboard. It's like, you know, if they decide they want to uh, start running, it's like the, you know, I want to run a marathon, you know, a month into my, my first time running. Well, that, that's setting yourself up for failure because, you know, you, you're just not going to be able to do that as it's too far of a stretch. So it's like setting those goals that are just, just beyond where you are right now. Mm. And that will allow you to, to do that and to gain confidence and then gain momentum. Uh, you know, that's, I think that is so crucial. And uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, I, I really didn't understand how that competition world worked. I, I mean, I'm, I'm experienced in, in the, the world of competitive martial arts and I've been in, involved in that for, you know, three decades, four at this point, gosh, I'm getting old, uh, but, <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it, it's kind of a different thing, but, but still it's the same, the, uh, the evaluation processes and things like that, that go on, uh, and the camaraderie, you know, the, the, the friendships that you make and the, the being able to, to observe other people and what they're doing and be able to say, Oh, I really like how they did this, I, you know, and talk to people like, how do you train? How do you do this? How do you approach that? And everybody's, you know, at least I was lucky enough to be with a good group of have like a really good group that we all kind of came up the ranks together where it was every time we saw each other, it was, what have you been working on? What have you been having trouble with? Uh, how did you, how did you, you know, I'm having this problem. How did you fix that? And just, you know, all of us sharing, uh, that's, I think that's the only way to take any art, you know, trumpet playing being an art to take it to the next level because you know we have to be able to share you know our experiences yeah you know and like you know learning through that competition like you know you compete like as you're saying you do martial arts like someone gets you in an arm bar one year you you go back and you figure out how they got you into that arm bar because you don't want to be hit by that again the next year sort of thing so you go and train that so that you have a counter move to that arm bar so you don't get hit there sort of thing so it makes you better whilst you're getting better with your friends sort of thing you know and that's i, I that's how i view the competition you know it's the the competition it's friendly but it's a friendly competition to help everyone around you better themselves so to speak you know yeah so you didn't go up and like punch people in the lip or you know like break their fingers or anything before the no no we always threaten to in australia but you know we're only ever joking so you know the number of times i you know you hear a trumpet a trumpet player go i've got this beginner kid who just achieved this amazing thing that they shouldn't have been able to so i'm going to give him five years before i break their teeth <laughs> yeah. you know it's never meaning you know yeah and that's that's kind of the vibe for like for every musician who i come across you know, we all have a teaching aspect to our career and the teaching aspect to our career isn't, it's not necessarily because we want to pay the bills, you know, it's because we want to sh share what we have learned over our careers to develop um, so that we can pass that on to the next generation so they can achieve greatness sooner than we have achieved it. You know, like you look at, you know, we look, we aspire to all the greats, you know, Herb Albert sort of thing. You know, we look at Wayne, who's still around, Conrad Gozzo, you've got Phil Smith, like all of those great players, Bard Herseth. Now we, we aspire to be those guys for an aspect that they achieve. 
but if you listen to the current people in the in the lineup of those jobs equivalent they're technically superior to what those older guys were because those older guys passed on their knowledge and it was constantly evolving we were finding new ways to do things efficient ways to do things and that knowledge gets passed on through generations and the next the, the next generations get better than us right you know and that's what what we hope for that's what i hope for at least and you know everyone i know we hope that the people we pass our our ideas and our development onto can achieve them sooner than we could so they can then figure out ways to go beyond what we can do today yeah absolutely i mean when uh, you know go back to my martial arts days uh, as well but that was one of the things that that was always drilled into me by my my instructors is that the you know, the, the responsibility of, and this is always what they always say, the responsibility of every generation is to surpass the generation before them. And that was like, oh, okay. Um, that, and you, you kind of have like that at first it, it, it throws you off because you're like, oh my God, you know, these people are so great, you know, regardless of, of what art it is, you know, if you're talking about trumpet, you know, you're looking at the, the, the Bud Herseth, the, the Phil Smith, the, you know, the, the Gazos and like, there's no way in the world I can become better than that. But if you have that, that attitude, then the art's going to die. So the attitude has to be, wow, those guys are so great. I'm going to aspire to that. And whether you hit it or not, that's a different story. But at least you have that as a, as a, a mark. And you start working towards it. You, you learn the things that they learned. You apply the principles. You do the things. And then, you know, hopefully you will meet and then eventually surpass. And the surpassing is usually because you have more knowledge to draw from. So everything that, that the generation before us knew, now we have access to that, plus all the new stuff that's coming out. And we're learning, you know, the, the instruments are improving. You know, we're having, you know, better, uh, better manufacturing process, more efficient instruments that we're working at. We understand things, uh, the components of like how nutrition and psychology and things like that uh, feed into our abilities to perform. And so we, we have all of these different things that we can layer onto the, the existing skill sets and knowledge. And then that helps us to move it to the next, the next level. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, with, with your teaching, so I, because I know you, you not only have a studio, but, uh, you have quite the, uh, the burgeoning, uh, YouTube channel where you have uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of information. To put and, and that I think is also one of the things that that's really helping us to really move forward, uh, is that people can get, uh, they can, number one, they can hear so many great players, you know, in the old days, it was really hard. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm from the really old days, you know, we're passing around cassettes and yeah. things like that, you know, and, and listening on albums, but, but now you can listen to any trumpet player, you know, pretty much in history. If they're recorded, you can listen to them. Uh, you can watch them. You can sit and watch a YouTube video and you can see how people approach the instrument physically. Uh, and so I think all of this adds to that layer. So I, so how do you, how do you view the power of technology uh, as uh, a tool for advancing the level of, of trumpet players uh, in this next generation and generations to come? Look, I think it's, it's great and it's a really helpful tool to use 
to to help that next generation so things like um like as you were saying like even when i grew up cassette tapes were still a thing like you know it was the 80s for me so everyone had walkmans and you know sort of thing and we're listening to those tapes and you know but to get your hands on them was difficult especially like you know i grew up we we didn't have a lot of money for me growing up so you to get you know to get a walkman was a huge expense it was like you know it was a birthday one year and i had to look after it it had to last me until you know from you know 10 years old through to 15 years old sort of thing when the discman came out or you know those sorts of things and then it was one discman to last me for eternity sort of thing and then but to get recordings and to find recordings um you kind of had to know who to listen to and that's like and that's becoming less and less like you don't necessarily have to know i know that if i listen to that person that's the sound i want to create we can go and listen to lots and lots of different recordings of different people and over time we'll develop who we enjoy listening to and our search narrows down or you can do essentially what i try to do and i i discovered a couple of years ago that my search uh, and my listening was becoming too narrowed and i wasn't listening i wasn't looking for new things to listen to because i was like i really like listening to this recording of harkin or i really like listening to this recording of wayne or i like this recording of chet and i kind of stuck to those things for a while but then with streaming coming out i was like okay what happens if i just type in trumpet what comes up let me try and find new artists you know people that i've not heard of before um and and then that and then like by through technology like by having streaming services now like quality is not necessarily as high as what a vinyl recording is or what a um or a cd or um like i know title does full wave format so that's the full cd quality um but it also has a lot limited it's the smallest um library so i can go through like my youtube music or i can go through like spotify or apple music and i can discover new artists that way and then go yeah that's amazing i'm gonna go and buy the full download or the cd or the vinyl if it's available sort of thing and get that higher quality um sort of thing so i find it's it's really helpful to discover new things is is where i see the positives i find it really helpful with my teaching because i can um i can teach a student something and that that can be whether i teach it's an online lesson or whether it's an in-person lesson i can teach a concept i can demonstrate that concept but to replicate that when my student goes into their own practice room is really challenging you know it, it needs that constant reminder that constant repetition um and that was something i was discovering uh i was learning for a while from from dan mendelow who was the principal trumpet for the sydney synth for 34 years or something you know and the if anyone's been to the sydney opera house that thing is enormous it is the biggest concert hall i've been in behind the albert hall kind of thing and it's probably just as big as the albert hall but every concert i've seen at the albert hall everything's mic'd where at the SSO, at the Opera House, they don't mic anything. So we used to joke, and we still do, we call it the barn. And for Dan to 
fill that hole like he did. I remember choosing some of the worst seats just to hear the brass group and see how they projected and filled the entire hall. And it didn't matter which seat I sat in, that brass group just had the sound that just filled the entire hall. So I was learning from Dan to try and open up my sound and get that that bigger, that projected sound without being really loud on the stage and, you know, deafening the people in front of me. And I remember I'd go to him and have a lesson, get everything sounding really good, working efficiently and feel really good about my playing. Then I'd go and I'd, and, and over about a month, I would slowly decline from the things that he taught me, not because I'd forgotten them, but because I just needed that extra reminder. So after about three or four weeks, I'd book in my next lesson. I'd go back to see Dan. He'd get me back to having that open sound, that big projection again, that efficiency. And then I'd go back to, to playing my gigs. And, you know, and then over a little bit of time, it started to deteriorate, but it'd take a little bit longer. So um, in the sense of teaching, I really like using it because I teach the concepts in a lesson and demonstrate the concepts, get the student to work on the concepts, get the get a group of the concepts. But then with the videos that I have, they can then go back, watch the video to get a reminder of what my concept is and a demonstration of my concept. And they can work along with that video just like a lesson and have that little reminder. So they can essentially go longer between lessons if they're dedicated to sitting to it and going, now, how did Phil address that? How do I work on that? How did I get that to work efficiently during my lesson? Um, watch the video, come back sort of thing. And that's where like, um, like in addition to my YouTube, like my YouTube, I give out lots of, lots of generic advice to help people. Um, but then I feed that into um, like a, a membership thing where it's like you have your lesson and then you go back to your videos and it's a bit more specific with development for that. So like all the guys who are in my membership, they can go, right, here's my lesson. You know, have my lesson once every month, once every two months, whatever. What are the concepts that I worked on in my lesson? Go and follow those with the videos in, in the membership sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, and grow from that. So that's like, I find that's really helpful for development as well. Then you know, it goes even further from that because as like I'm wearing a Positive Trumpeters Worldwide shirt, which turned up for me yesterday, which is a fantastic Facebook group, but it's not a great group because like, like the moderators do a great job, but it's not a great group because of the moderators. It's a great group because of the community. And as trumpet players, as I was saying before, like we're all teachers because we want to pass on. But we're not just teachers of a kid who's in year three, four, five, six, all the way through to year, you know, finishing schooling to help them develop as a kid. We're all students, no matter how good we are, and we learn from each other. So it's like, you know, someone goes into the group and forms a community and goes, right, I'm really working on this. How do I break through this milestone? And then you, you watch on the Facebook group, there's probably within a couple of hours, 30 40 comments of well i did this or you should do this but you know like worded differently it's basically well i did this to achieve the result you're working on have you tried it you know and everyone shares their own journey to help each other out and so those reasons are how i see it being developed and how i see um, it advancing trumpet players 
in the future generations far more. The negative side though, is there's also a lot of bad advice, you know, and when I say bad advice, advice that I don't agree with and advice that I see a lot of other people that I spend time with, a lot of you know, great players don't agree with as well. So we try, you know, so because, you know, opinions, you know, yeah. uh, uh, as your, uh, uh, as your quote, you know, this, uh, uh, this content creates, creates adult, adult content, um, yeah. opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. So and most of them stink. Yeah, exactly. So for that reason, there's, there's going to be stuff out there that's, that's not helpful to the development of, of people's playing. So if you're, um, if you're looking for advice, it's, it can be hard to filter through what works and what doesn't work, especially because frequently bad advice might get you initial results, but be detrimental further down the run sort of like sort of thing if that makes sense yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah so yeah things like fragment sake um you've had walt johnson on on this podcast and like i've got his book double high c in 10 minutes um mm -hmm. and that is it has some awesome advice in it right it has some fantastic advice in it and if you and I, I recommend everybody check it out and go and learn the skills in that book um, but my opinion is that, um, as a long-term kind of thing, having the two different embouchures, um, is something that only a very advanced player should have. And if, if someone who's coming in with two years of experience goes, right, I'm going to do the altissimo embouchure, I'm going to curl my bottom lip in and do those sorts of concepts. I feel like that for an inexperienced player is the, is the right advice at the wrong time. You know, so I found, I found that that book has, um, so I prefer to have like one setting and use, uh, to throughout the whole register. And the reason why I pref I prefer that is because when you have large interval jumps, especially coming from up down, if you're changing embouchures, it can be easy to miss pitch. And that's why I stopped using that method because I was miss pitching too frequently. Um, and it takes, you know, like, but Walt does it amazingly well. So this is not me criticizing, criticizing Walt. It's me saying that it's the right piece of advice at the wrong period sort of thing. And it's just what, an example that I'm thinking of now. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, I, I think the same is true with, with fundamentally anything. Um, you know, playing trumpet is a very unique uh, individual and an intimate process. And, um, you know, it's like how many different uh, sizes of mouthpieces are there? How many different kind of horns are there? Yeah. How many different yeah. methods are there? And, yeah. you know, it's because what works for one person isn't going to work for everybody. I mean, like, so, so for me, like, for example, uh, I really gravitate towards uh, like the, the Stevens Costello method uh, yeah. Yeah. because I've got my jaw structure. I've got a, a pronounced underbite. So I am naturally what would, I play naturally in an, what he calls an upstream or, you know, or what people call upstream. So I, I play with a lower set on the top lift. Yeah. Air goes this direction. 
And that's my natural way of playing. So the exercises that he has to try and teach someone that doesn't do that naturally, I I don't have to work at it. You know, like the statics and stuff like that. I could do those real easy because I'm just already set up for it. So it works for me. Now, Mm -hmm. what I found is like the Caruso method does not work for me, you know, and I get really, really stiff and I have a lot of problems with it. So, uh, and I've talked to a lot of people who are familiar with it and especially people that are familiar, like the Reinhardt method. And they say, oh yeah, because of your draw structure and the way you are, the Caruso method tends not to work for a person with your particular physiological setup. So don't do it. You know, don't play pedal tones, you know? So is it just, I, but I don't want to get online and start saying, oh, don't, you know, pedal tones are going to destroy your embouchure. Well, there are a lot of players that use pedal tones and, you know, like Arturo Sandoval preaches pedal tones. Arturo can play circles around me. So, you know, it's finding the thing that works for you. And when you find what works for you, do it, but then don't discount anything else, you know, be willing to look at things and try and like you're saying about Walt's method, it's like, okay, well, this works and this works in this situation. Uh, so I've got that in my toolbox. And yes. you know, I, I think that's where where we we sometimes we get too too much tunnel vision and, and become ego driven by things and we don't want to admit that we don't have all the answers. Yeah. Like the number of times Walt's method with his Altissimo um embouchure has got me through the gig. You know, like I, w- I was learning through Tristram Williams for a long time. And I remember him saying to me, um, your practice routine is designed to fix the flaws that you, or fix the bad habits, bad, bad habits that you allow into your playing to get through the gig. Now, by learning Walt's method, um, and learning that Altissimo register and that, that embouchure and that sort of thing, I've you know, there's times where you get to, you know, three quarters of the way through the third set and things are just burning. It's not a great day. It's not working. What have I got in my toolbox to get me through this gig? And I'll go, right, sweet. This has gotten me through gigs many times. Use that method to my advantage. And there'll be times where I use that. Um, And the reason why it's not my preferred method of playing is because it's a different sound when I use that to what I use in the rest of my range. Um, So for me, I was like, okay, I want the same sound in my entire register, especially as like a more classical type player. I want the same register from pedal C through to double C, right? Same sound, same, you know, so to achieve that, it's about using, you know, the same uh, embouchure setting, so to speak, right? And I find like, it's a good foundation. But like, if, as I said, if I'm, if I'm burning and it's hurting, it's more important to get through the gig than it is for me to be fundamentally technical the way that I want to be playing, you know, get through the gig. That's a tool that I have and use, um, use it, get through the gig. And then after the gig go, right, cool. So I need to work on this, this, and this for me to be able to play the technical way that I want to be able to get through it. But you know, um, yeah. So that's learning all of these different styles is really helpful, but I feel like, like the downside is through the online world, you can be learning these different ways and create confusion Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of players. And you find it more with, as as I like to call them enthusiast players. So people who play for a hobby, 
Um, and that's why I've why I started coming online more was to help those players because um, it can be challenging to find structure with so much on offer. And more often than not, you can, you know, for argument's sake, like you, you brought up Caruso, you know, you can use, you know, Caruso might work for people. The Bill Adams might work for other people. The Stamp um, works for other people. And all of those sorts of things. And like a lot of the new technique books that I'm seeing coming out, um, there's similar exercises in all of them. Like I, I will happily use exercises from the Caruso book, even though I use the Maggio and the Stamp school of like process of teaching sort of thing. And, and um, that's how I find playing is more beneficial. But then if you go and like, you can go and use exercises from all of the different things to create you know, something different, you know, I, if I want to work on flexibilities, so to speak, I don't have to play just the flexibilities from the stamp book. You know, I can go and get flexibilities from the, uh, from the, the Adams routine. I can go and get them from the Arbans, from the, um, the bin lay, you know, the only difference, so to speak, is that I'll approach them the way that I've learned through my Maggio routine rather than through the Caruso school of thought. And I feel like that's where things are really useful. Um, but, you know, finding which method is working for you or which it's not even method, it's more approach. Yeah. Which approach works best naturally for each individual player. Um, I find it's really useful. Um, but for the for a lot of enthusiast players, they haven't necessarily understood what the concepts are because they play the exercises without reading the transcript or without learning from a teacher who who has understood that and demonstrated that um, to be able to pass that on. So that's where the challenge, you know, it, that's my opinion. So, you know, as I said before, opinions like assholes. Um, like it's, it's more about, you know, you can use almost any exercise to better your playing, but it's more about the approach to how you do it. Yeah. And then going a step further from that, it's about um, how you structure what you're doing to get the most results out of it, you know? So um, if you, you know, if you only ever try and play high and loud, then you're only ever going to be able to play high and loud. If you only ever try and play low and soft, you're only ever going to be able to play low and soft kind of vibe. You need to be able to, um, and, and this is especially important of, of, of enthusiasts or hobby players where, who, you know, if you work a day job and you've got kids and you've got all of these other things that all these other responsibilities, you need to be able to have a game plan to, to perform well, which is why, like, that's like the biggest part of why I started doing the online, you know, there's no point in just doing flexibilities cause you need better, you need better endurance and better range, you know? There's no point in just doing long tones or, or even like, as, as I see so often, like you tell a student long tones, like, oh, yeah, okay. I'll sit there. You know, you're not going to gain anything from that. 
But if you sit there and you think, okay, what am I trying to achieve with my long tones? I want more efficient playing. I want, or so you look at the benefits you want, like from long tones, like I want to be able to play with a nice sound and I want to be able to play in tune and I want to be increased in efficiency with how I play. So I want the right airstream. And so if you sit there and go, okay, I want to play my long tones so I can get those aspects. And you think about, okay, so take my good breath in, good clean articulation to start and focus on creating the sound that I want to, I want to create in tune, then you'll get a better grasp of it. But if you do that every day, yeah, you will get good at long tones, but what about if you need to go through scales, like in your piece, like this so often we have to go through a scale quickly. If, if you've not practiced them, you've not understood that, you know, you've not learned that skill. So, um, that's where you know structure of your practice especially when you're short on time so that you can go you can touch on all aspects of your playing but you understand what you're trying to achieve with that aspect then you can um then you can actually advance on that and you want to touch on everything like i uh, like my 30 minutes a day routine that i that i give out to everyone and try to share everyone it's the concept is that you have one or two days where you work hard on a fundamental and you try to really push yourself and improve on that and then another day you come back and you just do the part that you couldn't do so you just touch on the part that was a little bit out of reach to try to make that a little bit better and every day has different focuses so that over the course of a week in if you if you follow it you're improving you're playing every week through improving one or two aspects every single day and then you play music because we don't we don't play the trumpet to play exercises we play the trumpet to play music so to speak so to speak yeah well and, and you know actually uh, this is something that that i've uh, for years in my teaching uh i've i told my students and and you know it's it's in everything it's i, I think you know one of my favorite things is how you do anything is how you do everything. So uh, when we think whether it's it's music, martial arts, business, anything like that, I think the most crucial thing is clarity, clarity of purpose. So you're talking about like, you know, what's the purpose of long tones? I think the first thing that people usually miss, whether it's on trying to develop uh, a practice routine or trying to pick a new horn or mouthpiece is what's the purpose? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And the clearer you are on your purpose, then that will dictate what you need to do to, to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. So I think like when you're talking about, you know, hobbyists and things like that, because I'm not a full-time professional musician anymore. Uh, I, I still play, I play regularly, but this isn't my, my regular, you know, this isn't my, my sole source of income. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have limited time to practice. Uh, so when I do practice, I have to be very surgical about what I, what I practice. And there are days, like if, if I get, get called to do a specific gig, it's like, you know, oh, you know, I need you to do, you know, somebody calls me and says, can you do a Latin gig? I'm like, oh, well, I haven't played Latin in a while. So, uh, I got to get my Latin chops together. So that means that everything that I do in the limited time that I have to practice needs to be to get my skills for that job ready 
You know, I, I don't have time to play bebop. I don't have time to, you know, to go through the Arbans and, and, you know, things like that. It's like everything I do needs to be geared towards getting me ready to do that job. Much like you're talking about, you know, having a tool in your two bucks for the chops. Yeah. If I, if I don't have a gig coming up, then my practice can be on developing skills that are, that are waning or, or I can structure my practice and say, well, you know, I'm having, I really want to work on my articulation. So instead of practicing at Arbenz, maybe I take, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I play a lot of, you know, R&B stuff. So, okay, well, I'm going to practice, you know, the lick from uh, September, or I'm going to practice uh, superstition. I'm going to practice something that's got some, some tight articulation in it. And I'll do that as my articulation study, you know, just, just keep looping yeah. it. Um, so not, not saying that anything is a waste of time, but there are, you know, if 99% of your playing is this, don't spend your time on that 1% over here. If you've got limited time, if you've got unlimited time, yeah, go for it. But if, if time is a crunch, do what you need to do before you do what you want to do. And I think sometimes that that's the problem that we get on the on the internet things is that, and people are coming from basically a good place. They're wanting to help yes. people, yes. but okay. they're not, they're not thinking about, well, this is what I did, but I don't know your situation. So that's why I usually try to tell people when they ask for advice, well, you know, you got to think about what is your situation. And then when we have a better idea what your situation is, here are the steps that you can take to, you know, or here are the things that I've done in the past that are similar to that. But, um, you know, like you said, you know, it, opinions are, are like assholes and, and I'm the biggest one out there. So <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the other thing as well, and that's where like this technology thing is really, really useful is because it's so easy for us to post a video of what we're actually doing. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, you, it, it, and that's something that you see so often, like as soon as like, especially on this group, you, you jump on and someone goes, I'm really struggling with getting my C in tune, but like my low C sharp and my C in the staves flat and then my C above the staves flat and what's going on. Um, and like they'll post as a text and you know, the first comment is always, can you share a video so we can see what's going on and offer you more specific advice to help? You know, because it might be the mouthpiece is wrong. It might be that they're playing on, you know, a 150 year old trumpet that was designed to be played in A and they've pulled the slide in to be B flat sort of thing. It could be that they're, you know, they're too tight on their embouchure sort of thing. There's, there's so many different variables that by seeing someone do it with video, or in person, we can be a lot more specific on the advice yeah. sort of thing. Um, downside is we're doing teachers out of a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that there's always, um, there's always space for that. You know, it, it's the, 
uh, this the, from the entrepreneurial space, you know, the stuff that I do for as a as a consultant and things like that. One of the big things they always say is, uh, you know, give your best information away for free. Mm-hmm. Don't don't give away your B stuff. Uh, give away your good stuff because, uh, you know, if people look at, at the advice you give for free and go, "Damn, that's that's so good. That's that's that really is a game changer." Then when you have a product to sell, then they're more likely, you know, it's like, if that was the free stuff, what's the paid stuff going to be like? And so it builds trust and it builds credibility. Um, but then I think it also opens the door for, uh, for communications with people. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be, there's always going to be a space uh, for teachers of all kinds, because you know, you, you may be, uh, you know, the, the best teacher in the world, but only for certain things and for certain people. And there's going to be something where, you know, you're going to have a student that comes up to you and I'm not saying you, you know, individually, yeah. but I'm just saying, you, you know, you as a generalization, the general, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, even I'll, I'll point it back at me and say, yeah, I, I'm a really good, great, te- great teacher for a lot of things, but there's certain things that are just out, not in my wheelhouse. And when people would ask me, you know, about specific things that I didn't have the right answer, I didn't have the background or the knowledge, I'll go, well, you know, I really don't know, you know, you, but you know, who's an expert on this, this person, this is who you should go talk to. And uh, some people go, well, well, why would you do that? Because you're going to lose a student. I said, no, I'm actually going to gain a student. You know, I'm going to keep a student because they know that I'm more concerned about their betterment than anything else. And that develops that level of trust, which then there's there that opens it up for me to be able to share stuff that maybe, you know, uh, I never wouldn't have generally done. So, uh, and then also I learned from it too, because, you know, if I send somebody to another teacher, they'll come back and I'll go, well, what do they tell you? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I never thought about it that way. Okay, good. Boom. Put it in my toolbox. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many positives with that, you know, like, it's only going to make the community of trumpet playing better, you know, and as, as much as we like to bad, like, you know, the old trumpet player joke, you know, hi, I'm better than you kind of thing exists. Um, it's more like, you know, and you see more people trying to help people through this internet thing, you know, and it's because you can, you can take three minutes, scroll, scroll through YouTube for a tutorial. And, um, you know, and, and as you said, you find someone who you relate to and you trust and you learn from them, you know, like there's a euphonium player in part of my membership because the way that I teach is something that resonates with him. Like I'm not teaching him euphonium. I'm teaching him fundamentals of brass playing. Um, yes, between the euphonium and the trumpet is there's similarities, um, but he just likes the concept of how I approach practice, how I approach community, how I encourage people to go and um, document their progress. And that's something that so many people are scared of. You know, why, why shouldn't we document our progress? Because we can easily go for months and go, well, I'm not getting any better. Why and then you, go, you get into a rut and then you start getting worse. Where if we go, okay, this week my primary focus is, like, for argument's sake, I'm giving away um, Scales Sunday at the moment. So every Sunday, um, Sunday Australia time, there is another scale 
attached to a group of fundamentals. So it's like the first, like this, uh, you know, so you learn the notes. So it's got the notes written there with the fingerings written there. So you can go through and slowly learn the notes of the scale and the arpeggio. Then you do another one where it's like working on articulation. So it's the same scale, uh, but it's a little bit faster. The focus is to improve your, your articulation whilst you're still learning the scale. Then you've got some slurring exercises based on the same scale. Some fast tonguing exercises where you can either double tongue it or single tongue fastly using the same scale. Then intervals using the same scale and then inverting it sort of thing. So you're going from the top to bottom because like I, I know for myself, I get a bit lazy sometimes. I'm good at practicing bottom to top and back down again. But how often do I go top to bottom and back up again? Like, you know, that's something that I need to that I know that I was like, okay, I need to be mindful that I need to practice my scales inverted as well as up and down sort of thing and inside and backwards. So every Sunday I'm releasing this video with, you know, the sheet music and all that sort of stuff um, to help kind of structure, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, help structure sort of things to give that goal. But at the end of the week, right, so if you go right at the start of the week, I'm working on E flat major and I'm struggling with E flat major at the beginning of the week, if you document it and you go, right, I know that I'm struggling with E flat major, you can either record yourself doing E flat major at the beginning of the week and listen back and go, oh, I'm really not good at that one. And then practice it for the week. Right? And as I said, like the scale Sunday thing that I'm doing only takes about five minutes to do it. You get to the end of the week after practicing you know, spending five minutes on that one scale every day, at the end of the week, you could record yourself playing it and you document how much you've progressed on that one scale in such a small amount of time. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go and do that one scale every day for a month to, to develop it, to get it sound great, because you can go, right, this week is E flat major. Next week is E major for argument's sake and then you change scales every week and you might not have it perfect after a week but when you move on to the next one and go on the next one and practice that one you'll find that even though you're getting more challenging with the key signatures you're learning them faster because it's a new goal every week and then once you've gone through all the majors you can either go right i'm going to go back and do all my majors that i couldn't get nailed at the end of the end of the week set aside for that week you can go back and go right um i'm gonna go back and do e flat major again because i wasn't happy with my progress on that and you know because you've documented it and then over the space of one month two months three months one year ten years you go back and you listen to the recordings that you've taken of yourself as a journal and you go wow i'm so much better at this than when I started it back there. And it helps you be encouraged to keep practicing, to keep going, to be motivated, to search for the next goal. Right, right. You know, there's um, there, there are two things that made me think about. Um, the, the first is that, uh, I think, who's the first person? I think Tony Robbins was the first person I ever heard say this, uh, was that uh, we have a tendency to, overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. Mm. So I think so many people get frustrated because they're not seeing rapid results. Mm. Everything takes time and it takes work. Uh, so it's having that realistic 
kind of thing of, of okay, well, if, if you if you have never played an, uh, an F sharp major scale in your life, uh, you're not going to be able to get it to the same speed that you have like your C major scale, which you spent more time working on. So, okay, you know, you can't compare apples and oranges in that case, even though they're both scales, but they're different keys. And the second thing, uh, and I had always said this to, some, to, to my martial arts students, like, I really wish that I videotaped everybody on their first day of class. And then when you come into my office being frustrated about why, you know, how you, you feel like you're not making improvement to show you, you now and you then, because what happens is when we improve is that our knowledge and our ability to identify what is possible increases. So when you're a beginner, when you're a beginner trumpet player, you have no idea what, what you're supposed to be able to do. After a year of playing, you have a concept and you may have it over here on that C major scale, not on the F sharp, but you're feeling like, oh, because I can't do this as well as I do this, then I'm not making progress. Well, no, you, you are making progress, but you just can't see it. You're aware that, that you're, you're capable of more. You're just not there yet. So yeah, I love that idea of, of doing documentation. And I think that everybody should do it. The, the hardest part is doing it in a, uh, a mindful way, a non-judgmental way, you know, you can't beat yourself up for it. It's just like, okay, well, if I'm not good at this, right, this sucks. All right. Well, if I wanted to get better, me, you know, being frustrated and angry or whatever, isn't going to solve it. It just means it's time for me to hit the woodshed and, and practice that skill. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, um, pretty much since the iPhone came out sort of thing, um, in I think it was 2007 or something like that. Pretty much since every, since it was common that we had relatively good quality cameras in our phones, in our hip pocket all the time, every student who has learned from me has had to record something frequently. You know, so um, usually I, uh, so like at Cranbrook, the school that I teach at, um, and this is really good because it's part of the culture of the entire music department, is there are performance opportunities every week. And so I get all of my students have to perform a solo every single term. All of those solos are recorded and all of those recordings get uploaded to a file for those students. So if I've got a, a student, like I've got students in year 10 who I've been teaching since year seven um, at that school, they have uh, probably 15 recordings of them performing as a soloist in their file that they can go back when they're feeling discouraged and not like they're not achieving anything or like they're not growing. We just go back in their lesson and go, well, let's have a listen to this performance that you did here. Right. And let's compare that to your last performance. Right. And it's, it's good because it puts a reality check. So if you have a bad performance and it's a one-off, you know, you can go, well, that performance, you know, at the end of term two wasn't as good as my performance in term one, but my performance um, that I did for this other like festival that was done for the school in the same term was far better. It's like, well, that's a, you know, that was a, a, an off one. Um, I remember like the baseball is not huge here in Australia, but a friend of mine who, who now lives in the US told me um, years and years ago, um, the there's a concept with among pitchers in the in baseball out of five pitchers 
One will be shit hot and awesome. One will be woeful. And then three will be pretty good. And it's those three that are pretty good that it determines how good the picture is, sort of thing. Um, and if you think about that, um, especially uh, the lower, like the, the, the people who invest less time into their playing, one performance will be awesome, one you will not be happy with at all, and three will be, yeah, that was pretty good, I had a lot of fun. You know, those three are determined how good you are today, but there will be a time where you're shit hot performance becomes your three regular performances sort of thing through constant um through con continuous structure and continuous development um you can do that and the other thing as well that i've spoken about a lot is is a good mindset um the mindset can completely control how good you can and can't play if you are in a good mindset and one of uh continuous development and um, that like thinking that way of how am I developing today? How am I going to get better today? Um, you'll be constantly growing. You'll be constantly playing at or near your best. But if you start getting into that uh, that that down kind of period where you're you're, you're self doubt, you you know I'm going to split that note. I hope I don't spray that. I uh, don't feel good today you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to start getting worse sort of thing. And that mental side of playing is so important. And like, I found that during um, like Australia's, like, especially in Sydney, we're only just starting to come out of lockdown now. Um, now we haven't had a lot of, a lot of cases in the grand scheme of worldwide. Um, but we've spent most of the past two years lockdown there's been not, very little gigs going on very little playing together um most of the teaching has been online and so naturally for me i started to start doubting my playing started to doubt my abilities because um like this practice room have like i've got a great studio but it's a really dead environment and to get it to sound like a great concert hall it's it's it doesn't happen so you hear all imperfections in my playing so i start to you know as i you know and i've been playing for you know 30 years nearly um and i started to doubt myself and i start to go on that downward spiral and then i have to go okay let me go and check out some of the recordings i've done check out some things that i'm that i've been doing recently versus older I go okay cool start to pick myself out out of that so through documenting and i i document a lot on youtube and on my Facebook page and Instagram, but mostly on YouTube for me. Um, but there's a lot of a lot that I document and don't post and don't share. So that you know that positive mindset is is really important. Like um, uh, the late Bill Broughton, trombone player from from the Los Angeles Studios, um, he moved to Australia and was a mentor of mine um, in my late teens. And he always said, if this is right and this is right this will be right you know and that's something that we can all really remember you know and you know so your mind has to be right in um as as tom hooten said on one of his instagram lives recently put our ego aside and think about today's development you know if today is not as good as yesterday don't worry about it just chill out put the ego aside slow it down a bit 
you know, try and take it down the octave. Do, you know, we know a lot of tools and how to make something better, but just go, accept that today's not as good as yesterday. Back it off from yesterday. Progress it up slowly um, by putting our ego aside. So that's how we put our mind right. So thinking, thinking in a positive way, how do I make this better? How can I improve this? What is today's improvement? What is today's goal? You know, um, is how we put our mind right. How we yeah. put our heart right is um, through loving the process, loving the music. So making sure that we listen to music that we love here, like listen to music that helps us feel emotions um, and sharing our gift with others. So that's how we get this right. That's how we get this right. And for a lot of people, um, uh, giving giving thanks to a spiritual higher being is also how to get this right for that for those sorts of people. Um, and by having that and that right, this will take care of itself because you've you've got these two sorted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I think especially as we get to you know a a higher level of skill, I'm not necessarily saying you have to be a world class player. But when you when you have when you have your fundamentals in place, I think that you know getting the head and the heart is then what separates you from everybody else. Yeah. Because yep. I mean, I know a lot of guys that are that are tremendous players. I mean, they've got all the chops and techniques in the world, but they get in their head. They get in their head so bad, and they just do all kinds of goofy things to basically set themselves up for failure. They they self sabotage. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you know, it, I, you know, they're, they're the people that are like on the the constant uh, equipment hamster wheel. You know, it's yeah. like uh, because like, well, I got to tweak this. I got I've got to open up this throat. I've got to put this on there. Gotta, and they they're constantly doing these little things, and sometimes they help, but sometimes they don't help. Uh, instead of just, you know, okay, well, let's, let's just get, get the head clean and, and focus on what we need to do. Mm. And then, you know, other people, their heart isn't right. And, um, you know, I've, I've always said that I would rather, I would rather listen to someone, uh, play who was not a particularly great technician, uh, who had a lot of soul, a lot of heart, uh, in their music, uh, than somebody who could just, you know, blow the hell out of the horn, but there was no, there was no heart to it, you know? And I think that's the hardest part right now, like you're talking about with COVID, that's been one of the hardest things is that for most of us, uh, unless you are just a, you know, a true soloist, uh, most of us, we, we get our joy. A lot of the joy we get out of music is because it's something that we do and engage with in other people being on a bandstand with people. So whether it's playing with a piano accompanist or whether it's playing with a full orchestra behind you, it's the energy that you get from, from being this, uh, taking all these different people and bringing them together to create this one unique moment in time. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, that's a hard thing for a lot of us to, to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as a soloist, like when I work as a soloist, it's not, about me so to speak it's about us you know and so like i'll turn up like and i'm sure every soloist that or when whenever someone works as a soloist they're the same you don't turn up going i want this exactly like this this is how i see the music going it needs to be like this you turn up with a i feel like this is how i want things to go and then when you're working with 
the accompanist, if uh, whether it be an orchestra or a pianist or um, even a bongo player, like I did with um, with Street Jam, um, it develops through the communication between you and the rest of the ensemble. So that's so true with with all of our music. Like you know, like how many times do you turn up and play the same set? on different gigs but the energy is completely different the the articulation could be completely different to what you practiced because by the time you get to the gig the energy from the band the uh, energy from the audience the energy from the uh from the environment so the acoustics the energy from the sound guy the like all of the things that are happening creates this musical spontaneity which is where that that energy comes from and like at the end of the day like why do we listen to music because it fills us with emotion right if we want to be happy we'll listen to happy music if we've if we want to feel sad we'll listen to sad music if we want to study we'll listen to music that helps us concentrate and help us helps us focus you know everything that we like we don't listen to music to as you say i want to be blown away by technician right, by technical work we don't do that very often. We're inspired by it to develop ourselves. So like, you know, we don't necessarily go looking for the Carnival of Venice on an instrument we don't know how how challenging it is to play. So, you know, an audience doesn't go, I want to hear fireworks on their instrument, you know, like they were in the late romantic period. They were party tricks that or they are party tricks that go on in addition to music and Sergei Nekarayakov does that incredibly well, but he actually does the fireworks while he's playing, like with the like all of his violin concertos that he does and the the cello sonatas and all of that sort of stuff. And I saw him live, um, you know, eons ago when he was in Australia, and seeing him live, he would play the most amazing thing. Like his his Rococo variations is so emotional you know um and beautiful but then you get to that last page and i've got the sheet music somewhere and it's like it's like but then he'll get like three encores before he goes okay i'll play the carnival of venice now sort of thing you know um where it's like obvious fireworks sort of thing um you know we list you know as i was saying we're listening to music for emotion and by being musical spot like having that communication within the group creates that musical spontaneity which means that every performance is different and every performance is different in a good way you know like rather than we're going to do this exactly like this all of the time which is great in a studio because you know when you know, we already know that when people are listening to an album it's to be listened to differently to when you hear it live so you you are that precision is definitely there when we were in the studio um, which is a very different way of playing it has to line up perfectly has to be exactly like this all of the time and creates that recording energy and then the live aspect is like okay we have to communicate here and here and here and communicate like this and get an understanding of how everyone communicates to achieve the end result but the end result is always slightly different yeah yeah mm. 
Well, I, that, that's, that's some deep stuff and man. Yeah. I love it because, you know, I, I always come back to music as an art and, and art is about emotion and expression. And, uh, I think that always has to be first and foremost, mm. you know, everything else is in support of that. And, um, yeah, and all music, uh, you know, like you're saying, you know, you listen to well a different type, depending on the, the emotional content. Uh, I think this is sometimes where it's, it's so good to be able to listen to a variety of, of styles of music, not just, you know, uh, the mood of music, but, you know, there's, there's a certain level of, of lyricism that, that you can, uh, learn from, uh, listening to some mo more of the romantic, uh, era mu music. Uh, and then if you want to, uh, get the the fire you know maybe you, you listen to some some latin music or you listen to you know some of the bebop stuff and and so it's like all of it is just a different expression like a it's like a different dialect or a different language uh or a variation of a language but we're still speaking the same same basic language and that language is music exactly exactly and that's where listening is kind of the biggest the biggest thing to help us understand all of those different styles of how to approach it sort of thing. And, you know, um, coming back to like coming, essentially coming back to fundamentals sort of thing. Um, if you don't have good fundamentals, how do you go and do all of those different things? You know, you, you know, it's like, um, it's like if you've got a, f a floor in your fundamentals, um, it's like a painter trying to paint, the most amazing piece of art but there's a massive red ugly blob in the middle of the canvas sort of thing you know so that's why you know all players regardless of genre or prefer genre or whatever it is they all start with the fundamentals and they all make sure that their fundamentals work well you know the um the words of michael jordan you know get the fundamentals down and everything else will fall you know yeah. Well, and, and like, that on my wall, I reckon. Yeah. Well, even like taking that paint analogy, it's like you know, if you take uh, you know, the red, blue, green, yellow. I think those are the four. Um, the, if you took those those primary colors, uh, and you really understand those colors, you can make anything with those colors. You know, when, when you've mastered your understanding of those fundamentals, then everything just becomes how do you blend. You know, how much red do you put in? How much blue do you put in? You know, how, how do you mix it? Those, those sort of things. Then that creates everything. So I think like all of those fundamentals, you know, the production of your sound, your articulation, uh, you know, your, your flexibility, your range, all of those things are like your primary colors. And regardless of whether you're playing classical or playing jazz or, or playing polkas it doesn't matter because you you've got those fundamentals and then you can go into to that setting and you can express yourself in any way you want yeah. so yeah that's 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 good stuff that is absolutely good stuff and the fundament the fundamentals don't change regardless of what style you're playing like you how many trumpet players do you know that play that practice clark two everyone <laughs> i've not met a trumpet player who hasn't practiced clark 2 at some point now the way that everybody practices clark 2 varies depending on what they're trying to achieve with it but the fact that everybody plays clark 2 at some point says that fundamentals of playing the instrument 
at the end of the day, what exercises are the same. It's just slightly different approaches to get different results sort of thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, God, we could, we could go on for this for hours on this stuff, <laughs> but I, I know uh, our time is limited. So uh, we need to get to uh, a couple of our uh, standard segments. Um, and so uh, the first segment that we're going to go into is our sound off. And that is brought to us by our good friend, Michael Barkley from Barkley Microphones. He's mine. I got oh, mine. You yours? Ah, show me yours. I'll show you mine. Um, so this is all about sound and particularly uh, let's let's talk about your approach to sound and uh, from your, your perspective as, as a teacher, and, you know, and not only you're a teacher and you're a performer and you perform in a variety of, of uh, venues and, and genres. Um, so how do, you, how do you teach sound? And how do you help people understand how to tailor their sound uh, to get the most beautiful sound necessary for the job that they have before them? Uh, usually through listening. Listening, find a player that you resonate with um, and that you like and that you love listening to and listen to them a lot. Um, and then play, you know, so like I've got one of my students in year 10, he loves the old smaltzy kind of cheesy, um, cheesy stuff. So like, you know, um, the Mendez, um, can't think of it right now, you know, to my mother or, um, trumpeters lullaby. He loves that sort of stuff. So it'll be like, cool. It's like, he'll come to me and go, I really love this style of playing. Right. Well, here's your recording of Mendez. And we're going to play, and we're going to start with, you know, no, to my mother, then we'll learn, you know, and we'll just go through all of the tunes that he, that he loves. And he'll listen to those a lot because he loves playing them. So, and then he'll, over time of constant listening and constant playing that same stuff, he will adapt to that. So that's pretty much my, my biggest one with sound, um, in terms of, um, when you get into that more advanced period, um, normally for sound, it's like, is the sound good? So you want to get rid of any sort of fuzz in the sound. Um, you know, I know there are jazz players who love having that fuzz from time, you know, in that scenario. Awesome. But I'm going back to fundamentals in the beginning, it, you create a nice sound, nice sound for me has plenty of overtones it's when it's the easiest to play the instrument it's in tune um kind of vibe it has you know overtones you can hear the overtones you know and one thing i love to do is i've got this app called tonal energy and you can set it to analysis and you can actually see how many overtones you have in your sound while you're playing and one thing i love doing um, when I've got plenty of time is I'll sit there and I'll play my long tones and I'll go, okay, which overtone do I want to hear the most of? And I will manipulate what I'm doing to try and, and, vi and I'll use the visual thing to see what I'm doing. And I'll try and get that overtone to get, uh, to boost higher on my frequency chart sort of thing. And I'll go, okay, do I like that sound? Do I not like that sound? You know, let's try and get a different frequency. What do I have to do? to get that frequency, that overtone to boost louder sort of thing. Or, you know, it's a really fun, fun uh, exercise to do when you've got time. But basically when it comes to sound, it's like um, the, at, at the very basic level, I find breathe, play, 
just work. So one, two, three, breathe, play. Most of my students who get that, they they don't worry about the chops. They don't worry about setting up. They just focus on a good breath in and blowing through the trumpet. And then a nice sound kind of happens through that. Um, so that's the basics. Then it's listening, playing, playing along uh, with recordings, playing pieces from the recordings, sort of thing. All of that sort of stuff is what I do for sound. And then when you go really advanced, it's like using a um, yeah, using that that uh, that visualization sort of thing, and go which overtones do I want to hear more of on these long on these notes, and try and figure out which ones it is, which frequencies. Try and boost those frequencies in the overtones to create the undertone sound that you really like, sort of thing. Yeah, cool. I had to play with that app. You're the second person that's talked to me about that. So I, oh, I, I'm going to check that. It, it's by far the best tuner metronome app you can get. Like it's so many, there are so many features in there. I don't even use all of them, but like there's a drone in there. So I use drones to help me, um, help me with my hearing, like not like, so my p internal pitch sort of thing. So I, like I'll buzz my mouthpiece different uh different scale degrees and chords uh, like sort of thing um with my drone to help me tune for you know both equal temperament and true pitch sort of thing um and i'll play on the trumpet it helps me tune with my ears rather than tune with my eyes and then you can use the visual to confirm whether you're in tune um the metronome functions really good you can set it so that it after x amount of bar, uh, bars you can change to different time signatures then you can set it to change like increase speed incrementally for you know so you can actually practice time changes sort of thing in different pieces um there's a recording function in it there's the overtones different yeah um one that i pretty much leave it on for a lot of my practices, the sound wave. So you can actually see the shape of all your notes. You know, am I trying to aim for square notes? So you can say, go, right, I want square notes. So I'm bap, bap, bap. And you can, you get that visualization. It doesn't lie. You know, recordings yeah. never lie. And to have that instant feedback of what I'm actually putting out, um, you know, is that's really cool. So, you know, that's so many features in that one. Tonal energy can't recommend it enough. And I think like, it's like five US dollars or something, you know, probably even cheaper. It's like seven dollars Australian or something. Um, you know, where are you going to find a tuner for that price? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I'll put the link to it in the show notes. And uh, so if anybody's interested in that, uh, go check it out. All right. Uh, our next, our next segment is, uh, called Geared Up. It's brought to us by uh, Venture Mouthpieces, uh, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Uh, use the code TrumpetGurus21. Get 20, or not 20, get 10% off your order. Doug would kill me if I said 20%. Uh, so TrumpetGurus21, 10% off your order from Venture Mouthpieces. So uh, Geared Up is about uh, gear, uh, but not the usual, hey man, what mouthpiece are you playing? Uh, but about your concepts of gear and uh, recommendations that you would give people uh, that are maybe looking to up their gear game. Gear, fun. This one's a, the worldwide, you know, question. You know, um, for me, gear is what feels right for you and creates the sound that you want. So what works for me is very different to what works for you. 
And even if we're trying to aim for a, a similar sound, um, similar sound, similar articulation, all of those sorts of things, different gear will work differently for different people. So for me, um, I I love playing the Stomvi gear, right? And there, it doesn't mean that it's perfect for everyone, but for me, I love playing their instruments. Now, I, I and now, like I'm, a, I'm affiliated with them, but I still buy all my instruments, right? Um, like it's still a, I buy my instruments because I love playing them. This was my sea trumpet, the Stompy Titan. This, which is the first one that I bought from them. And for me, I knew instantly that this trumpet created the sound that I wanted and it felt good for me to play, you know, regardless of whatever mouthpiece I had at the time or anything of that. It felt good to play. I found it easy to play, so it was efficient for me to play. Um, and I like so I listened to the sound quality, I listened to the intonation, and I listened to the quality of the articulation while I was playing as well. So this trumpet resonated for me, um, sort of thing. And and I, I'm really happy with how I sound on it. However, I go and spend time with one of my one of my good friends here. He plays Yamaha trumpets. Um, and he loves his Yamaha trumpets and he sounds great on his Yamaha trumpets. Now he plays my Stompies like, man, those are great horns, but I sound the way I want to sound on my Yamahas. And it's because he likes the way that the, the, the resistance works really well for him, the, the way they feel work for him. So he can create what he wants to create because it feels natural for him. So that's pretty much when it comes to gear, find what works for you as an individual you can sit there and go but this person plays that and this person plays that i remember when uh when i was in the army band i was doing a lot of lead playing and for for a period and so i went looking for like every player does i went looking who plays what instruments and what mouthpieces and i'll just get what they do and i'll sound that way on it um and so, you know, I went out and like, at the time, you know, Wayne was the guy who I was listening to all of the time because, you know, obviously because the job I was doing as a, essentially a studio musician, because in the military bands, you're playing everything. And yeah, Wayne yeah. being a studio trumpet player sounds incredible at that. So I was like, works for him. I'm going to go copy it. And at the time he was playing on a Canstall trumpet and he had a, I think it was a park mouthpiece custom thing. Can't remember. I've lost it now. So I went and bought the, the cancel trumpet that had his name on it. I went and bought the mouthpiece that had his name on it. And I tried it. And yeah, yeah it sounded fine-ish, you know, for me. But wasn't the best best scenario for me at that time sort of thing. And then, so I went and tried a bunch of different things and eventually settled on a, a Bark 43 with a, uh, I think it was a, uh, it was a, a, a Bob Finley, Bob, no, not, can't remember. It was a Finley mouthpiece, um, which worked great for me. You know, shallow cup, big throat, wide rim, which worked really well for me because, um, you know, most of my playing up until that point was more on the classical side so i had big mouthpieces big rims sort of thing that setup worked well so and it worked well because it felt good for me so that's what i recommend for people to do go to a shop 
try out all of the different things that they have on offer and something will lead them down the path that suits them for that. So, you know, it's good to go, what are you playing? So that you can find out what is easily easy to access. Um, but at the end of the day, we are all different. We all have different makeup. We all have different, um, we aspire for different results in our playing and finding the setup that feels the best for us helps us create that sound that we want. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Great advice. All right. Well, we have one last segment to get through. And uh, this is brought to us by our friends at Robinson's Remedies. Uh, show your chops and love for Robinson's Remedies. Uh, this is our Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Rounds, a series of questions that bounce all over the place, like your chops at the end of a six-hour gig. And uh, this is uh, just a lot of fun. So, uh, Phil, I just need your quickest response to these questions. Are you ready, my friend? Yeah, man. All right, let's do this thing. First question, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Bill Broughton. Yeah. All right. I guess trombone players count. Uh, what oh, is... <laughs> Bill was getting this right and this right. right. You know, he was a really strong spiritual leader for me. Um, that, you know, that's why, you know, yeah. more for that kind of thing. For sure. All right. What's your favorite book? The 4-Hour Workweek at the moment. Mm, that's a good book. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Snakes on a plane. Oh, snakes on a mother plane. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Oh, um, so many options. Uh, look, the easiest option would probably be working in marketing. Um, but realistically I'd probably end up, um, uh, probably i'd probably still be in the military but serving as something else like a you know some other aspect sort of thing all right what's your favorite drink gin and tonic mm, okay and black coffee in the mornings uh there you go that that sounds like a wonderful uh, yeah, don't switch those around that would be that would be very bad uh, i do it on holidays from time to time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh you can have a dinner party and you could invite any three living people, any three people in the world could come to your dinner party. Who would you want to invite? Uh, the first one would be my wife. Uh, no, <laughs> um, well, no, the first person would be uh, like business wise, I'd be talking to Graham Cochran, who um, he's got, yeah, if you've, if you've never heard of him, he runs a, um, a, a business called the Recording Revolution um, and he was essentially the first guy I came across who does like an online helping people. Um, and that's where I got my concepts for, for doing online stuff. So he'd be the first person. Um, I would love to sit down with, um, uh, with, with Harkin Hardenberger, um, as well. And then I would have to have, um, probably Carl Barron because I, you just have to laugh, you know, you know, Dinner, you know, you can have heaps of business, but you know, laughing is what what's good for the soul. So you know, yeah, that's, that's, has to be there as well. That's a good balanced, you know, balanced group there. Someone All right, to work on with business. Someone to work on with trumpet. Someone to laugh with. There you go. All right. Uh, so you have three additional chairs at uh, your dinner table, and they're for any three people from history. So any three people no longer with us, who would they be? 
Ooh, um, this is the tough one. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, Rafael Mendez, for sure, mm -hmm. um, would be amazing. Um, I think um, Steve Jobs would be fun to sit down with um, to, to learn how he turned his dream into a reality mm -hmm. kind of vibe. Um, and uh, I don't really know. <laughs> don't really know who the third would be. Um, yeah, I'd have to pass. <laughs> okay. All right. You always have another trumpet player, you know, you can, but yeah. oh, look, I mean, the sad one, it'd probably have to be my dad because he, he passed when I was a little kid, you know, so sorry to bring the down. I was about, yeah, so that'd be, that'd be my three people. Yeah, there you go. That's all good. All right. Lacquer plated or raw. Uh, it doesn't matter. To be honest, um, I had a trumpet once upon a time that I had lacquered, and then I took the plate, and then I took it all off, so I had raw, and it, it didn't really matter. Um, for me, I usually play silver trumpets because the silver plating lasts longer. Um, I've got a rotary trumpet that's that's all raw. You can see back there, but I, I don't really care if it feels if it feels the way I want it to feel. And it sounds the way I want it to sound. I'll play it. There you go. That's a good response. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Get the fundamentals down, and everything will fall into place. The Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael Jordan put that on the wall. What is your greatest fear? Heights. I am absolutely and utterly petrified of heights, and because of that, I will constantly do things like skydiving, bungee jumping. I will climb the Burj Khalifa. It. If there is something, um, yeah, if there's something to be done that, that involves heights, I will make myself do it because I refuse to give in to fear. Okay. I'll be petrified the whole time. Yeah. There might, <laughs> might be a puddle on the floor below me, but I will, I will get up and I will do it because I refuse to be, I refuse to have my life dictated to me by fear. Oh, that's awesome. All right, uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Unconditional love. Okay, I think you already have that. Nah, nah, I'm, I struggle I think with it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we're really, yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I mean, I have it for my, for my, for my kids, obviously, as as any parent will say, but. Um, I'd love to be able to look at any person from any walk of life and be able to hear their story and truly feel um, like feel their story, you know, rather than, you know, I can hear words and go, wow, that's, that's a really cool story. Or wow, that's a really devastating story or, you know, but to really feel what it means to them. So I guess it's empathy more than you know, empathy or sort of thing to, to be able to feel someone's emotional journey um, and, and like their journey of life um, to really understand where they've come from. Um, you know, that to me would be 
an amazing power to have um, because you can get so much worldly experience and um, you know and, and like it it affects the way that you live everything else you know to to really truly feel what someone else is feeling mm-hmm. under circumstances yeah that's cool all right um what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated high notes for sure you know too many people think like they aim for this tiny squeal and inc- and and this inconsistent high note is my high note nah that's not your high note the high the, your high note is the one you can play at the end of your six hour latin gig you know and if you can't do it then it's not your high note you know they're important you know they're they're it's important to not have any limitations in your playing but the amount that people obsess over playing in the upper register um you know maybe because it's maybe it's because and this is my theory maybe it's because people don't get the fundamentals sorted in the stave to be able to play up there so they feel like it's hard because they keep trying to squeal it out with poor technique rather than sorting out your range everywhere else you know if you've got good range if you if you have incredible efficiency from G in the stave to G above the stave, the G above the stave to the next G is going to come out well. It'll sound fine, you know. But if if you don't have good efficiency at that G to G, the next G to G is not going to work, you know. That's a that's a great concept. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated? Uh, the uh, making music. Yeah. You know, we're too, we so, we focus so much on being technical um, that we, we kind of forget, you know, we kind of forget to, to play musically often. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. Um, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Oh. Don't quit. Um, yeah, keep going. Cause I, I quit for a while. Um, so I, I started when I was seven, my dad was teaching me. Um, and then when he died, I gave it up for a couple of years. Um, cause I, I hated it when I was, you know, when you're forced to practice, I hated it. Um, but then when I, when I made the choice to practice, um, I loved it. So, um, for me, it would be, you know, it would be in, enjoy the process and just keep at it, you know, Okay. Uh, while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so many pieces of advice. Um, I think it would be, um, just trying to think of how to word it. Well, um, be more empathetic to people yeah you know i um early on in my career and and my adult life and even even as a teenager um i didn't care about other people as much as i should i was very self-focused um and perhaps it was that self-focus that got me to achieve the things that i've been able to achieve on the instrument um but it, it meant that i wasn't able to develop um develop musically um so you know i lacked a lot of musicality because 
I wasn't learning from life because uh, I was, you know, you know, I was not really caring about where other people were at. Um, perhaps that was because my my childhood, like lo losing my father when I was very young, was was a you know that was quite tra uh, traumatic. So maybe because of that, I I didn't. I was so focused on my own shit that I didn't care for other people. So I think it would be learn learn to care for other people more than caring for myself. Yeah. Okay. And a final question for you, Phil, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, as much as I'd love to be known as amazing trumpet player. Um, I think I'd like to be known as the, as like the guy who could do it all, but shared it with everyone who didn't want to do it all. You know, that's, that's why I'm, it's the whole point of why I'm on YouTube is to help people who just want to play in band once or twice a week, but they want to get better, you know, um, who the guys or the, the guys or the girls who want to, who want to play and want to enjoy what they play, but they want to be their profession. They want to be a good parent. They want to be a good husband or wife, or, you know, they want to live life and be good at what they want to do. So I think, you know, I want to be the guy who could do it all and shared it all. Yeah. Well, that is certainly uh, a noble undertaking. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate your, your honesty and all of all that you've given us in this episode, this hang. And uh, yeah, I am certainly looking forward to the day that, that you and I could, could sit down over a gin and tonic or a cup of black coffee or both no if i can tolerate an american black coffee there uh you know australia here has the best coffee in the world so you know oh oh live up to that one you know oh uh, okay okay it's like that uh, the, the, the gauntlet has been thrown so. the gauntlet is thrown australia, okay especially melbourne has the best coffee in the world prove me wrong I've, where's my prove me wrong shirt yeah, yeah prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it has been an absolute honor to uh, hang with you tonight and uh, today, wherever the time is, who knows. Uh, but uh, yeah, please make sure you check out uh, Phil's YouTube channel, uh, like, subscribe, follow him, uh, do all of that good stuff and uh, the links in the show notes. And yeah, you know, this is a great guy, great talent, and most importantly, uh, a wonderful open heart and uh, willing to to share from his experiences. So, uh, you know, don't uh, don't lose out on that advantage. So, Bill, once again, thank you very much, my friend, and thank you for spending time with us on this hang. Make sure that you also like and subscribe to this channel because you know we want to. We want to keep things going here. And uh, if you have any uh, questions, always feel free to drop me a line and comments. And we, we love all that stuff. So to close it out, as always, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. 
Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal, and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm-hmm.